So tonight we're going to continue our study through 1 John. Um, last semester, last year, we finished um, with the chap- uh, chapter 2. Uh, tonight's message is from chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If you want to turn there. Um, tonight, let me turn there first. So tonight, uh, I'm, I'm going to read it. And then I'll chat. Starting in verse 1, chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not appeared, has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to preach your word, Lord. Um, I pray, Lord, that your name will be exalted in this place, Father. I pray that um, for myself and for those who are here, that we really would see what kind of love the Father has given to us. I pray, Lord, that 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 truth would sink in for those who are in Christ. I pray that... um, We would just wonder in awe and amazement of who you are and what you have done through your Son, Jesus Christ, for us. I thank you, Lord, and I love you in your name. Amen. All right, so um, tonight I want to, as I just prayed, I want us to see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. Um, I want to also... like So I have three points, three big points, and then in point one there's a lot of little points. Uh, but point one is that I want to see what kind of love the Father has given to us, what kind of love that is. Um, and the next thing I want, the next point is in chapter Aaron verse two, uh, where I want to ponder what is to come and what our present state is now. So what we are heading towards and where we're at right now. And then I want to end with application and encouragement. Um, and that will be uh, verse three. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So uh, those are the three things I want to do. Um, in point one, there's subpoints. I want to explain uh, who the Father is. I want to explain who the Father is. I want to explain uh, what he has given to us and how it is given to us. And I want to explain who us is. So those are the, uh, the key things I want to do in the first point. And the second and third points are... Uh, ponder what is to come, our present state, and I want to end with application and encouragement. Um, So, verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Uh, John is trying to get us to see something vastly important here. He is urging us to see and marvel at how great a love the Father has given to us. This verse uh, may be translated, Behold, what peculiar, out-of-this-world kind of love the Father has bestowed on us. This is a massive truth that John is encouraging us with. In this first point, I want to make a couple of things uh, clear, as I stated before, um, to try and help us understand the magnificent and peculiar love the Father has given to us. I want to answer some questions. The questions are kind of already mentioned. Namely, who is the Father? Who is us that it's talking about? What does he give to us, and how does he give this to us? 
So I'm going to start with uh, the Father. Who is the Father? Um, During my time studying this text, I realized that the importance and significance of these verses are magnified, of verses 1 through 3, they're magnified when we understand who it is that is giving us these things, or this love. There you go, that's what he's given us. The Father, uh, the Father in this text is God Almighty, the creator and sustainer of all things. He is most holy and perfect and just. He is the source of all life. He has no beginning and no end. He does not need anything or anyone. All of creation worships and points to him and his glory. He can do no wrong or evil, and he is always good. Uh, I like what the West uh, Minister of Larger Catechism says. It puts it more beautifully than I could ever muster. The question is, what is God in the Larger Catechism? God, and this is what it says, quote, God is a spirit in and of himself, infinite in being, glory and blessedness and perfection, all-sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. That is God the Father. This is an amazing, amazing truth. Absolutely astounding. God simply is. He cannot sin, and therefore He is everything that is good. Everyone should ponder all of these things, all of these characteristics and qualities of God. They are simply staggering. We cannot in any way understand the depths of God. The Westminster Larger Catechism said He's incomprehensible. We literally... Our minds cannot fathom who he is and the magnitude of who he is. He is incomprehensible. We cannot fathom who he is. We don't have the slightest clue of the magnitude of his greatness. This was one of my favorite truths during this study, and I'm excited to go more in depth with this when we get to verses 2. Perhaps it may help us understand his holiness and his greatness when we see the human encounter of God in the Bible. These kinds of stories really blow me away and really stir my affections for God. If you want to be stunned and in utter awe and fear and reverence of who God is, then study these stories in the Bible of people in the presence of God Almighty. They're crazy, crazy stories. The reactions of those people. I'll mention uh, two of my favorites here tonight. Uh, In the New Testament, we see Jesus calling his first disciples. Uh, In Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus uh, get in Simon. He was Simon. He's he's now Peter. God changed his name uh, but he was Simon at the time. He got into the boat, and when Jesus tells Peter to let down his net, and Peter answers, uh, Peter pretty much is like, we've been doing, we've been working all night, like we haven't found anything. Like, he's kind of hinting towards like, all right, we'll let down our nets, but we're not going to get anything. We already tried that, and tomorrow we're not going to get anything. Um, And when Jesus tells Peter to let down his net, Peter answers that they have been working all night and have not caught anything. He's thinking to himself, I'm a fisherman. I know, I know how to do this. I know my job, you know, but we're not going to catch anything. He said, but he'll humor him, and he'll do what he says. So he lets down the net, and they begin to get so many fish that their nets begin to break. And they had, and they had to signal for uh, the other partners that they had to help them. They had caught nothing all night, nothing all night. But by the command of Jesus' voice, God incarnate, they catch so many that their equipment cannot handle it. 
They filled both boats. They had more than one boat out there, and they filled them both with fish after catching nothing all night. So much that they began to sink. They caught so many fish, they began to sink. This is incredible. By the command of Jesus' voice, this happens. And look at Peter's response. This is, this, is what it, this is the response of man in the presence of God Almighty. This is his response when he sees this divine act. He falls down at Jesus' knees and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It's no wonder that they left everything and followed him afterwards. He literally said, he told Jesus, Depart from me. He wanted to be out of Jesus' presence. He said, holy smokes, this guy has power. They were absolutely blown away at who Jesus is. The fact that the boats were breaking and sinking, the fact that the boats were breaking and sinking wasn't where their astonishment came from. But it was the presence of the Almighty. Peter was not uh, worthy to be in the same boat as Jesus. He wanted him gone from his presence. He was desperately uncomfortable. The presence of God Almighty, the holiness, the pureness of God amongst us sinful and vile creatures makes us like, whoa. Peter was not worthy of being in the same boat. He wanted him gone. He was desperately uncomfortable and immediately fell in awe-filled worship. This was worship of God Almighty. This should be our response when we read God's word. How about in the book of Isaiah? Isaiah was a man of well thought of, he was a man well thought of by his contemporaries. He was a very righteous man. That's why I love uh, his vision of the Lord, uh, because he was a much better man than me. Turn there and read it uh, with me, Isaiah chapter 6. Starting in verse 1. So it says, In the year that King Uzzah had died, I saw the Lord, this is Isaiah, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and a train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, listen to what they say, Holy, 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 is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And listen to this next part. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Literally, doors and the walls and the thresholds were shaking at the sound of his voice. This is powerful stuff. And listen, and listen to Isaiah's reply. Again, Isaiah is a well thought of man. He's a righteous man. He says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. His response, Woe is me, is significant. Woe, when when someone says, Woe is me, where else is it said in the Bible? That's where Jesus also convicts a lot of the Pharisees. Woe to you Pharisees. This is pronouncing a curse on them. He pronounces a curse on himself. He says, woe is me. Cursed is me. 
Um, where else are Um, okay, here we go. I think we see what kind of effect God's presence has. Okay, sorry. Here we go. I got it. I think we see what kind of effect God's presence has on us best in this chapter. Woe pronounces a curse on himself. Then he says, I am lost. The King James Version uh, says it this way, which I like better. It says, I am undone. So again, this is a, this is a curse. I am un, this is afterwards. He says, woe is me. Pronounces a curse on himself. He says, for I am lost. The King James Version says, I am undone. Literally unraveled. Isaiah fell apart at the seams when he was in the presence of God Almighty. How amazing. Yet we stand today bored and emotionless in his presence. Yikes, me, I'm, I'm right there with you. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and are motionless at times. May we repent of this lack of awe and reverence for God. There are many other encounters that, the, that could uh, be spoke of, but I think we understand the effect and the greatness of God our Father. Uh, actually, I'm going to mention another one really quick. In Revelations, it talks about when Christ returns, and people are literally crying out for rocks to fall on their face to hide them from the presence. This is, this is like God Almighty. This is a powerful, powerful being in the midst of broken and sinful creatures. This is the severity of, and really an eye-opener of who God really is. How holy and how perfect and how just He really is. But now I want to shift gears and turn to the us in this passage. So I want to go back to 1 John chapter 3. And now I want to go over us. So it says, see what kind of love the Father, so we know who the Father is, we know the effect He has, has given to us. So this Father has given to us. Who is us? The us in verse 1 is God's children or His people. We who have been born again and adopted into fellowship with God are in mind here. It is those who profess Christ as Lord of their life and live for His glory. Those who by God's grace have put their faith in Jesus to save them from their sins. They are a people who confess their sin to the Father and live a life empowered by God to do His will and not their own. They submit to God's law. There is a sad, sad truth that hovers over this passage, this whole passage, uh, verses 1 through 3, about see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And uh, looking to the future in... um, Verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We shall be like Christ. This this truth uh, is sad because there is a sad truth that hovers over this passage of Scripture with all the joy and love and future hope that lingers in these verses. And that is, these glories and this awesome relationship will not happen to everyone. There is an us. Oh, how scary it is that some will not experience this treasure. Let us take care, lest we think we have obtained these promises, yet are still under condemnation. Judgment is coming to those who are children of the devil. If you're not a child of God, you're a child of the devil. There is no in-between. And on those who are not born again. 
Verse 1 explains that these people do not know God. They do not submit to God's law and indeed cannot. And we're, and refer, we're referring to the next part. Where it says the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now we're talking about the world. They reject the Savior and want nothing to do with him. We've talked about the, we talked about this uh, at the end of last semester at some point. They're... Uh, God comes in and they're like, nah, no thanks. We want to live our own life. We want to be our own God. We want to do our own thing. We don't want to submit to your law. That's what the world says. Those who are not believers. They reject the Savior and want nothing to do with Him. They are blind and dead in their trespasses and sins. They do not know God. And they do not know us who are children of God. That is why we are promised persecution. Jesus says that uh, we will be persecuted in this life. It's because they don't know us. The world does not understand. This is foolishness to them. Salvation is foolishness to those who are perishing because they do not know God. We must fervently preach the gospel and know nothing except Christ and Him crucified that by God's grace He will save some of them. We too who are children of God were once under a curse and were blind. But have been brought into this relationship. May our hearts be broken over the lost and those who are storing up wrath for themselves in the day of judgment. May we fling ourselves at their feet, begging them to turn from their sin and repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, and the judgment of God is coming. May God bless our attempts, and may he save his people and rescue them like he rescued Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot didn't want to leave. He did not want to leave, and God literally pulled him out. So next I want to talk about uh, what he has given us and how it's given to us. That'll make more sense once I explain. God has given us these things, meaning how we become children of God. I pretty much already went over this, but only in passing, so I must revisit and make it more clear. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. God has graciously opened our eyes to see Uh, to his beauty and majesty. He has breathed life into our dead hearts and made us alive with Christ. God has given us a relationship with him. He has adopted us as sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. That's amazing. He has done this through his atoning work of Jesus Christ. God the Father has sent his only son to die the death we deserve so that we might be saved and called children of God. Romans 5 verse 2 says that through Christ we have obtained access by faith. Listen to this. We have obtained access through Christ by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So through Christ we have obtained access by faith. Faith is the access into this grace which we stand and rejoice in hope. Like in the uh, in again chapter in verse 2, or no, verse 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself. So this is obtained by faith, uh, by grace, through faith, in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Literally, like, it could be said another way. He's a man of pain his whole life, was a man of pain, acquaint, or knowing only sickness. That's, how, that's another way it can be phrased. So the, my translation says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But it could be translated, a man of pain, 
knowing only sickness. This was his whole life. This wasn't just on the cross he suffered. This was his whole life. There is a righteous requirement of the law. We must be perfect and spotless before God Almighty. And it's an impossible task without Christ. Yet God in his great love has made a way for sinners to be reconciled to him. That is faith in his son Jesus. This is a great love that the Father has given us. This is the love that John wants us to see when he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. This is that love. What humility this should cause over God's children, that God has granted this to us. He has rescued us from our sin and filthiness at the cost of his Son. God has purchased his children by the blood of Christ and has made us a new creation, and the old has passed away. That is why we get baptized. Right, Pat? Where he's at? Amen. The old has passed away and the new has come. Praise God. What a strange thing it is that God Almighty, who we talked about, the Father, God Almighty is not ashamed to cause his children. Think about that. God Almighty is not ashamed to cause his children. And that we should be heirs with Christ. That should cause humility. This is the kind of love that the Father has given us. And the love John wants us to see. This is the love that God, this is the love of God that keeps us from sin. This love keeps us from sin and gives us never ending joy in Him. Isn't this John's goal in this letter? Remember, we talked about his four goals. Two of them are, men, are pretty much clearly uh, talked about here is prevent us from sin by his love and his grace, and then promote full joy. This is a joyous thing that we are children of God. He is urging us to see it. All the things that God has done for those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, When I was studying this, I was talking to um, Caroline when I first started studying, and I I read the first verse. I said, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And I thought... I struggle seeing that love that he's, he's granted to us. I struggle seeing that. And I was like, how in the world am I going to tell all these people, hey, see what kind of love the Father's given you, if I struggle seeing it? So, and it was funny, literally that morning, um, I woke up, and, sometime, and obviously you know, all the time you're like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to go read the Word. You're kind of like dragging your feet sometimes, and you're stone cold dead without it. And so I was like, all right, uh, got to see what kind of love the Father's given me. So I go to the Word, and afterwards I feel so refreshed, and it's awesome. And then I thought, that's it. See what kind of love the Father's given to us. When we are stone cold dead in the morning, we wake up, we abide in the Word, we pray, get on our knees, confess our sin, and we are made new. We are refreshed. That is the gospel. It, it, was, pretty, it was pretty awesome. But my heart's desire for me, for my family, and for you all is that we would see what kind of love the Father has given to us. I pray that almost daily help us to see what kind of love the Father has given us. That we should be called children of God. Children of God, wow. Oh Lord, help us see your love on display through your word and in our lives. Next, I'm going to go to, uh, this is... In verse 2, it's kind of looking to the future. 
In verse 2, John says, Beloved, we are God's children now. This is the second time that he has made a statement like this. In uh, verse 1, he says, uh, after he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Now in verse 2, he says, uh, Beloved, we are God's children now. That should cause us to stop and go, okay? He says the word now. Earlier he mentions, and so we are. This is uh, part of that love that God has given to us. He says that we are children now. Right now, in this very moment, those who are in Christ are children of God now. This means that we who are in Christ Jesus are sons and heirs with Christ right now. We will, not, we will never be more or less loved by God than we are right now if you're in Christ. We are completely justified by Christ's atonement right now. Not some future version of you. Let us rest in that sweet, sweet word now. And in the previous verse, and so we are. That is our identity, children of God. We were once slaves to sin, and now because of Christ we are slaves to righteousness. Rejoice in that. This also should give us great security and peace and comfort that right now I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God and no one can snatch me out of my Father's hand. In, uh, in Hebrews 13, 5, uh, says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That is so comforting and, se- and secure. You feel secure and in peace with God because of that. It's an amazing truth. No one can snatch us out of his hands. We are eternally secure if you are born again or a child of God. Verse 2, uh, in the, I guess B, if you want to call it B, of uh, chapter 2. Uh, it's what scholars commonly refer to as the already and not yet. David said that a lot of times. We're already uh, justified and we're not yet totally glorified. Uh, we are already justified by Christ, yet one day when we see him face to face, we will be glorified and be like him. That's hard to believe. What an amazing quote by Jonathan Edwards who says this. Listen to this quote. It's short, but it's really, really chewy. Jonathan Edwards says this, Grace, grace from God, grace is glory begun, and glory is grace completed. I'm going to say that again. You might need to write it down and think about it and chew on it for a little bit. Grace is glory begun, and glory is grace completed. That's amazing, amazing, amazing. What an amazing quote that is. Take that home, chew on it. If we have this treasure in jars of clay, Paul says, we are longing and looking forward to the day we are embraced by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For then we shall be made like him. Oh, what a glorious day that will be when we will sin no more. What a great mystery also we have here in this text. What that day will be like when we are in the presence of his glory and see him face to face. This is also a humbling verse because our earthly state, uh, in our earthly state, we cannot see his face and we would not be able to withstand seeing him. No one has ever seen him because we could not bear it. We would not be able to bear it in our sinful state. Even Moses, a much mightier man than us, only could handle his back parts, the Bible says. God told him, you cannot, Moses says, Lord, let me see your glory, let me see your face. And he says, and God told him, you cannot see my face, 
for no man can see my face and live. This is in the present state that we're in right now. This is that vileness and the holiness of God. But one day we will see him face to face. It is humbling to consider the knowledge and understanding that we have of God. How minuscule and small it really is. The Apostle Paul says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, then we will see face to face. Now in part, then I shall know fully. So now we see in part, then I will know fully when I see him face to face. Paul, right before this statement uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, he compares his knowledge of God to a child. A child who speaks like a child, thinks like a child, and reasons like a child. He says that his understanding is like a child's. So he's comparing it to his understanding of who God is and the glories that are to come. They're like children. We know how children act. They are foolish and don't understand. They can't be reasoned with. But Paul says, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. He's referring to when he, when he sees Christ. Paul has, has, this, uh, has this to say about his, his knowledge of God. And what are we to say? For surely we, uh, he saw greater things than anyone who is alive today. That's for sure. Our knowledge and understanding of God should humble us. We do not even have a clue of the glory of God and what is to be revealed to us when we see him face to face. We don't even fully understand the depths of our own human hearts, let alone an all-sufficient God who created us. By the way, this is worship. This sounds like, ugh, this is a drag, but this is worship. This is an awesome God. This is a vast, a huge, huge, huge God Almighty that we will one day see face to face and fall down and worship him. It's, it's amazing stuff. We don't even have a clue of the glory of God and what is to be revealed to us face to face. We don't even fully understand the depths of our own human hearts. How small are, uh, we are in comparison to God, yet how awesome and filled with hope and awe and joy at the day we will bask in his presence. Is not this what Jesus prays for in the high priestly prayer? That we, the children of God, we who God has given him may be where he is to see his glory that God has given him because God loved him before the foundation of the world. He prays, Jesus prays that we would see him and we would be where he is. What a great mystery it is that we, shall, that we will be like him. But we are left uh, with promises all over the Bible of how sweet it will be and what it will be like. In Psalm seventeen fifteen. It says, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, in the future, when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Or you can translate that uh, presence. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your presence. That is awesome, awesome, and that is really sweet to look forward to for those who are in Christ. So now I get to the response, and this is uh, verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You will see that there is a response to this kind of um, God Almighty, and we see him. So, we, so the presence of God, we see him, we understand. There is a response. There is something that happens after this. I, in Isaiah, uh, God, after he sees the presence of uh, the Lord, he says, uh, the Lord says, who shall I send to these people? 
And he says, here am I, send me. So there is a response. And we see our response to this after seeing what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and probing our minds of uh, the future that is in store for us. Where does that leave us now? Well, we purify ourselves because of the hope that is in us. This is where we go after this knowledge. This is where we go after being saved. We purify ourselves because of the hope that is in us. Now, well, hold on. I'll get, to, I'll get to the strength, where our strength comes from. We groan inwardly as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. We press on and present ourselves blameless for the day of the Lord. We fight the good fight of faith. How foolish would we be? How foolish would we be if we see these great truths and then sit down and do nothing for the kingdom? If we relax, drink, and be merry while Christ has commanded us to make disciples. We say, ah, I'm saved, sweet, see you later. Sit down on the couch, watch TV, and live like the world. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Let us keep awake and be sober-minded. We must put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of, the hope of salvation, encouraging one another and building each other up. Sin is always crouching at the door, and we must wage war on our sinful flesh and press on and fight and kill sin until the day we are made to sin no more. We must abide in the word of God and remain in truth so we can kill sin. If you hope in him, like John says, you'll you'll purify yourselves as Christ is pure. You have no option other than to fight against this world and your flesh, your sinful temptations. We have a gracious God who has given us his grace to forgive our sins. Amen. That's an amazing truth. We have grace that forgives our sins. But where does our power come from? Yet who also, God who also gives us grace to defeat and rule over sin through Christ. This is where our power comes from. To defeat sin. Romans 1 says, listen to this. We have received grace. We have received grace and apostleship to bring, why have we received grace and apostleship? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. That's it. That's literally, I could say no more. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. You have the power, because of God's love and his son, to defeat sin in your life, to overcome sin. We have been set free from the bondage of sin and darkness and will be glorified and spend eternity in heaven worshiping the God who has graciously, very graciously given us all things. I pray that we would see and savor what he has done for us. That he would continue to make these worldly pleasures, these weights and sins, like Paul says, seem so insignificant compared to, the, to his glory his love and goodness to his children. Oh, that we would see that. And if you are not a child of God, all this talk has been, okay, a child of God. If you're not a child of God, if you have not been born again by the Spirit, if all this doesn't mean anything to you at all, John wants you to see it. He says, see. He wants you to see what kind of love the Father has given you. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, Repent of your sinfulness, you will be saved and will get to experience these blessed, blessed truths. What it's like to be a child of God. 
and be looking and hoping for the day you will see him face to face. I pray we would all see. I pray we would all see this. We are all stone cold dead without seeing this great love by God's grace. Um, I think, I was talking to Dave before this, I think this passage, see what kind of love the Father has given us. Uh, many people, I'm not sure if you know about Spurgeon's conversion. So he was, you know, uh, coming, he was coming to hear uh, the pastor of a church speak and then ended up being a deacon that was speaking. So they're kind of like, uh, kind of bummed out. They're like, oh, I wish we could have heard the uh, pastor of the church preach. But the pastor uh, preached on a message that, or on a verse that was, look to Christ. And that's one of the things that he, that stuck with him so much. And the pastor kept saying, look, look, look to Christ. And in this passage, I want to say, see, see, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. Help us, Lord, to see what kind of love the Father has given us. Given to us that we should be called children of God. May we never stop pondering this great love that the Father has given us. Namely, His Son and the relationship that He has purchased for us. Let's pray. Oh, the depths, Lord, of, of who you are and our limited understanding, Lord. It definitely, definitely humbled me. I thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done in my life and in so many others, Lord. Forgiving our sins and our iniquities. Cleansing us from all our sin by the blood of Jesus. I ask, Lord, that you would pierce hearts tonight, Father. You would help us to see See, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. I pray that we would understand this, this, this truth would um, sit on us like a weight, Lord, and we would just ponder and chew on it. The great, great love that you have for us, that we should be called children. We are your child, heirs with Christ, because of what Christ has done. Thank you so much, Lord, and I pray that eyes would be open to your truth. People would see and savor who you are and would delight and obey your commands and we would abide in your word. Oh, how important it is to abide in the word, to defeat sin, to store up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, the psalm says. Lord, help us, Father, I pray in your name. Amen.